Hear the word of God from a selection of passages from each of the books of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The account of the covenant offer God, the, let me start again. The account of the covenant offer God makes to Abraham. <laughs> now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now from Exodus 3, 16 through 17, the instructions God gives to Moses and his intentions to bring Israel out of Egypt. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. From Leviticus 19.2, a call to holiness for God's people that have been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now from Numbers 6.24-26, the priestly benediction for God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And finally, from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Israel's responsibility as the God's set, as God set apart people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as your sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to see all of you again. Now, I know I say something like that each time I preach. I like come up here and I say, it's so good to see all of you guys this morning. But you know, I really, really mean it. Every single time. I'm so incredibly honored that, and blown away that we can come together as a family in a holy assembly to worship God and lift high the name of Jesus. I mean, I'm still blown away by that. And I hope that doesn't become so mundane to us. I know coming together can sometimes become mundane and routine, but that's what amazes me so much about God. That the holy, cosmic, and incredible came down for us, and that in that, he even has the opportunity for it to become mundane and routine for us. I mean, think about what that means. I mean, truly think about that. Something so cosmic, so incredible, has the opportunity to become mundane to us. That kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship is ours. That in and of itself is absolutely incredible. 
His glory could and should destroy us. Instead, for those who believe, His glory is our hope, our confidence, and our delight. How great is our God, and how great it is to be able to worship Him together as a family and as a community. So I say again, it is so good to see all of you guys here this morning. I'm so excited to start our new series that we're starting the year in 2020 with. Now, that sounds like the future to me. Like 2020 sounds like we should have flying cars and hoverboards and robots everywhere. I mean, it doesn't sound like now. You know what I mean? When I think of the year, hey, it's 2020, I'm like, oh, future. No, it's now. It's so weird to me. I feel old. It's just crazy. It's true. Our new series that we're starting off in the year 2020 is the first five books of the Bible, commonly known as the Pentateuch. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This series fits well because we're also starting a new Bible reading plan for the whole church. New year, new decade, a great time to start a new Bible reading plan. Am I right? Nod your head if you sound right. Perfect. This is a two-year plan that we are trying to have fit in line with the sermon series that we have for the next two years as best as possible. So this season will be in the Pentateuch. So this season starting January up till about June will be in the Pentateuch. Then this summer will be in the book of Galatians. Then the fall will be in Isaiah, looking into also bits of the New Testament, mainly Matthew. Next year, starting in January, will be in the book of Romans. That summer will be in the other poetry books, namely Ecclesiastes and Lamentations. And then we'll finish next fall, 2021, in the book of Revelation. Fun times, right? It's going to be an awesome two years of us reading the Bible together, trying to match up with the sermon. Guys, our desire and our prayer of the pastors and elders is that we fall deeper in love with Scripture and let it change and mold us into Christ-likeness. The reading plan will be on the realm, so please join us as a church body and be a part of this two-year reading plan. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I've done the reading plan before, so I don't need to do it again. True, you don't need to do it again, but it's helpful. And it allows you to come together with the church. I mean, it's like saying, hey, I've exercised before, so I never need to do it again, right? I've once walked. What? No, you still need to walk. It doesn't work that way. It sounds foolish. Others may say, parts of the Bible are rough, and I don't get anything out of the whole reading plan because it's just so difficult. Great. It's good to read difficult passages. And parts that are confusing or you don't get, it's so good to read together. That's why we're doing it together, so you can shoot your butt a question, or your small group leader, or your pastor. I don't get what this is talking about. Great, ask somebody. I don't understand this. Good, because if you understood everything in the Bible, the Bible perfectly, you'd be like God, and I don't want you to be God. That'd be bad. So let's do this together. Let's be about a church, about the word, about prayer, and about mission. So let's dive into this two-year reading plan together. Two years, we spread it out, so it's not a year, so it's like so much to read every day. It's manageable. What, what do we average it out to about a day, Danny? 15 minutes, five days a week. If you do 15 minutes, five days a week, we're giving you off on the weekends. Seriously, 15 minutes, five days a week, we can do this together, the whole Bible. Now, some of you might be like, oh, if I get behind and I can't catch up, it's okay. There's grace for you. Just join us wherever you can, all right? But let's do that, and we're going to try to match up the sermons so that when we finish the book of Revelation together, as a church body, we're going to get that together. Now, I mentioned the book of Revelation because I remember back when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I asked a pastor that I really looked up to. His name is Bob Hopper. We called him Bopper. It's true. He's an awesome dude. 
But he, I, I looked up to this pastor, and I, my senior year of high school, I said, Pastor Bopper, will you lead a study on the book of Revelation? I mean, that was really in at the time. I don't know if you guys know this, but the book Left Behind came out, and people were really into end time stuff, and the, they're talking about the mark of the beast, and 666, and all this weird stuff, like, oh, don't put anything on your hand, or all these movies came out, and the end of the millennium was about to happen. They were like, it was a really hot trend. So I asked his pastor, I said, will you lead us in a special Sunday school class? And I told him, I'll get the students. If you lead us, I'll gather all the students and we'll get together. So I gathered a bunch of students and I was pumped. I got to class, I had my Bible open, and Pastor Bob Hopper, Bopper, as I called him, said to us, turn to Genesis 1-1. So we spent the next hour or so in Genesis, and it was a great time, but not what I expected. So after class, I went to Bopper, I said, all right, Bopper, what gives? You said, I said, book of Revelation, man. What are we doing in Genesis? He said that if you will never have any understanding of the book of Revelation, if you don't first know Genesis and the rest of the Bible. It's like trying to read the final chapter of a mega long series and thinking you can get what's going on. It's like trying to read the end of Lord of the Rings by reading the last chapter of, of, of Return of the King. It's not happening. And so I say that to share with you guys, guys, what's so important. We want us to know the Bible. We want us to read the whole thing, but most of us just want to stick with the New Testament because it's easier to read, isn't it? And what I want us to do is I want us to know, know the foundation. Let's get into the Pentateuch. Let's get to know what the, what the rest of the Bible was built on. And let's learn it. So today we're going to do the introduction to the Pentateuch. And we're going to spend in the next few months in the Pentateuch. And the ancient Israelites and the Jewish people today refer to the Pentateuch as the Torah. And Torah is the Hebrew word that's often translated law and maybe more widely understood as instruction. Traditionally, Moses is considered the author of the Pentateuch, and there is much scholarly debate of, over mosaic authorship of the whole Pentateuch. This issue isn't as clear-cut as, like, say, who wrote um, the, a letter like Paul might have wrote, because namely Paul writes his name, saying, hey, I, Paul, write this letter. Moses doesn't do that with the Pentateuch. It's in a completely different style of writing. Now, it's key for us to note different literary styles in the Bible. A person shouldn't read a letter the same way one does a wisdom book. Or you shouldn't read a narrative the same way you'd read a discourse of prophecy. I hope that makes sense. See, you shouldn't read, like if I'm writing a po poem, you shouldn't read it to be like, oh, that's like a textbook. Right? You probably won't do well in school if you did that. You know, if you showed up and be like, oh, but I thought the stars were in someone's eyes. I am confused. What do you mean it's in the sky? See, in astronomy class, that would not work well for you. So you got to know the difference between when you're reading poetry or when you're reading um, a book on astronomy. Does that make sense so far? Are you guys with me? Now you guys understand what I'm saying. I thought like that was a better illustration when I thought of it, but when I said it, I was like, yeah, it's not as good. <laughs> in the New um, most of us have been trained to read the Bible through mainly the New Testament, which is great. The New Testament is amazing. But in the New Testament, most of the style is written in a, in a manner conducive to way our typical way of understanding and interpretation. The inductive method most people have learned how to study the Bible with fits in well with most of the New Testament but it doesn't do as well with much of the Old Testament. Does that make sense? As we go along, hopefully, you'll see the difference, and prayerfully, it'll help the scriptures come more alive for you. The people to whom the Pentateuch was written for is most likely the Israelites on their way from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. Now imagine this with me. Just imagine this with me for a moment. You and your people have been traveling in the wilderness from Egypt, traveling for many years, many decades, and maybe you were born in the wilderness, Maybe you were one of the original travelers, but maybe you were actually born in the wilderness and you've heard all the stories from your elders about how you got there. 
You heard the oral traditions, the oral stories by the campfires at night. You heard about Adam and Eve and about them eating of that fruit. And you heard about Noah, and you heard about the Nephilim, and you heard about Joseph, and you've heard about all these stories that have happened. You've heard about being a part of Abraham's descendants. You heard from the old family members about the miracles, and this is just a generation removed of the miracles God performed in Egypt, of the, about the, of the plagues and the splitting of the sea. Now you're about to enter a new land full of people you don't know much about with different religions, different cultures and backgrounds. They have cities, they have armies, there's walls, and you're told to enter into this land. They seem put together while you're a sojourner and a wanderer. And now you're being told that this is your land and you're to have a kingdom in it. And you're sitting here like, huh? I've been wandering in the wilderness. We're, we're, we're sojourners, we're travelers, we're wanderers. Now we're told to take over and establish a kingdom in the land. These are the people to whom Moses is writing the Pentateuch. They're wanderers who need to know who they are and what is promised them. They're sojourners that realize that they have a home. They're lost people who are known. Is this a little relatable to us? I mean, aren't we sojourners here on this world? Aren't we wanderers? This place is not our home, but we're called to advance the kingdom in this place. We, so much like them, are sojourners, wanderers, called to a home, but also called to enter into a place, enter into a land, and say, kingdom, let it be established here and now. We often forget what God has done, right? We often lose sight of who we are. We need to be reminded. So we, like them, turn to the scriptures to remind us, to tell us who we are. And this is what Moses is doing in the Pentateuch. He's telling the people who they are, whose they are, and what they are to do. He's reminding them, hey, all the oral traditions, let me put it together. All the stories you've heard, let me put it together because I want to remind you guys, this is your identity, this is who you are, this is your origin story, this is why we're going to take over this land, this is why this land has promised us, this is why, though you feel like a wanderer or sojourner, you have a home, you have an identity. So he wrote the Pentateuch. And what Moses is doing in the Pentateuch, he's telling people um, who they are, who they are, and what they are to do. He uses a, a kind of modern idea to convey this. Is the Pentateuch is like a five-part miniseries, but it leaves an open ending, kind of saying, like, you write the sequel. Here's a five-part leading up to where we are, but we're still writing the rest of the movie. We're still writing the rest of the series. So as we look into the Pentateuch, as we dive into it, I want us to first make that connection, Right? I don't want this to be written to people far away who are not connected to us in any way, shape, or form. But I want us to make that connection that we so much like them, we are also sojourners and wanderers needing to be reminded of our history. What God has done, his redemptive plan, and what he's going to continue to do. That's what these people needed as they knew they were entering into a difficult place. As they're entering into strongholds, as they're entering into strange and different cultures, they need to be reminded, where they came from, and that they belong, and that they have a purpose. You guys with me so far? Now I want to spend some time going over key orientations, themes, and ideas from the Pentateuch before we spend the next few months studying it. Now the problem you see right away is that the Pentateuch is very long, and it's impossible to cover fully the whole, the whole thing in the amount of time that we have. Right? In, the, in the next few months, up to June, there's no way possible that we can c cover really even just the book of Genesis let alone all five books. 
So we're going to really focus in on certain themes, covenants, promises, ideas that are ours and that are meant that need to be that um, Moses was so intently wanted to communicate to the people. Um, so in so doing that, we'll see the way God worked out His redemptive plan. Now we need to remember that first and foremost, these books were meant to be read and understood together. Genesis, I know when you look at it, it feels like a standalone book, but it isn't. It is meant to be the foundational book for the rest of the Pentateuch, actually, for the rest of the Bible. So let me give you a quick run-through of the Pentateuch. If you look at the screen, we see in Genesis, we see the promise of blessing for a cursed world. In Exodus, we see God redeems and relates to his sinful people. In Leviticus, we see a holy God lives with his sinful saints. In Numbers, we see us walking with God in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy, we see us living life under God's rule and blessing. All right, I'm going to put that back up there. If you go back to, the big, back to that one slide, I want you guys to see that this is a very short, obviously, to wrap up 50 chapters of Genesis in one sentence. It's a very short understanding. But this is one of the main themes that we want us to get is that what Genesis is doing is saying, this is a promise of blessing. This is the beginning of God's redemptive plan. He's going back to the original story. He's saying, here's what happened. Here's origin. Here's where man came from. Out of chaos came order. Out of God made out of nothing something. He created, but fell. Um, sin happened. Humanity fell. But out of that came a promise of blessing. And that promise of blessing was manifest in the promise of enmity between the serpent and Eve, but it also came in fullness in this picture of Abraham. And then the promise of Genesis kept on being fulfilled all throughout the patriarchs. It's blessing to a cursed world. And in Exodus, we see God living out that blessing, saying the people who are sold into slavery are being rescued and then taken out and being seen as a promised people, even though they're sinful. And in Leviticus, we see what a holy God looks like living amongst sinful man. In Numbers, we see, what does that look like as we walk in, in the wilderness? Guys, can I tell you, if any time in the Bible that relates to who we are, Old Testament-wise, it's when they were wandering in the wilderness. As they were going towards the promised land. That's who we are. And in Deuteronomy, we see living life under God's rule. This idea of covenantal blessing. Uh, you'll get later on, what we're going to talk a lot, we're going to use a term called a suzerain vassal treaty. That's what you're going to hear a lot about. You guys are like, what does that mean? You'll learn more about later. But in that, there's this idea of a covenantal relationship, a contract, of a treaty that was signed between people, between a suzerain and a vassal. A suzerain is a term for an emperor, a supreme leader, a king, a ruler. And a vassal was someone who swore allegiance to that king. Which, by the way, from now on, no more emperor or king. I want to be called a suzerain. What a cool title. Okay, forget that. So we see in theme and Genesis, we see creation, fall, and judgment in chapters 1 through 11. Then in chapters 12 through 50 comes the covenant promise, the election of Abraham, and providential provision, preservation of the promise through his descendants. In Exodus, we see that God redeems and relates to his sinful people in the miraculous deliverance of Yahweh's people, covenant relationship expanded to Israel as his people at Sinai, and the law given as theocratic charter for Israel. In Leviticus, we see a holy God lives with sinful saints in the expansion of the covenant law for the purpose of holiness among the people of God and God dwelling in their midst. In Numbers, we see walking with God as we sweep purifying of God's covenant people in Sinai wilderness and wandering. In Deuteronomy, we see living life under God's rule and blessing as a covenant renewal and the second law giving was established as a preparation for entry into the land of the promise by the second generation of God's people. 
I mean, these books are all working together to show the redemptive plan for us. It's our foundation. Gordon Wenham states that the main theme of the Pentateuch is found in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And this was earlier read to you. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here, he says here, and this is Gordon Wenham, says that here God promises four things. <coughs> Excuse me. He promises four things. He promises, one, a land to live in. Two, numerous descendants. Three, blessing for Abraham, or blessing for himself. And four, blessing through him for all the nations of the world. This is his beautiful covenant promise. God, nothing that Abraham did, but God, out of his choice, chose to build this covenant relationship with Abraham and in so bless the rest of the world. And I love this about these promises. God's benefit for the nations, the last one, is the climax or the goal of all the other promises beforehand. The pre-deepest promises of land, descendants, and personal blessings are all steps on the way to the final goal of universal blessing. In this promise made to Abraham, what God's promising to him, he says, I will bless you, I'll make your descendants great, but for the purposes of blessing the world. I choose you and your line. And this is where you see God's redemptive plan this, from the very beginning, this beautiful draw that he's placed out. We see it over and over again. The fulfillment of these promises to Abraham basically constitutes the storyline of the Pentateuch. It is a story of gradual and often difficult fulfillment. I say difficult, you look at stories of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, some of the most famous women in the Bible, and they all have great trouble conceiving, which doesn't make any sense, because one of the first very promises is that you'll have many descendants, right? But what follows is stories of really hard difficulties conceiving. Then you stories of a son being sold off into slavery, famine hidden in the land, people getting enslaved. Not only are times difficult, but people are difficult. We see stories of Tamar, and we see stories of Joseph's brothers selling him off. We see people who lie and cheat. The Pentateuch is a story of divine mercy to a wayward people. See, in the midst of this promise, this promise that was made is the story of this beautiful promise given to Abraham, but in the part of the promise was Abraham, live off to your part. Make me your God, follow my commandments. But what happens over and over again is descendants fail and fail and fail. So we also see a, a story of divine mercy to a wayward people. However, alongside this great grace of God is set the importance of law and right behavior. See, guys, contrasted constantly through this divine mercy is also a call to holiness all throughout the Pentateuch. And can I just say something really quickly? I'm just going to throw this out there. A little bit of a side note, a little, little kind of aside here. But I feel like over and over again in churches, we've gotten so focused on grace, 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 grace. And grace is beautiful, grace is amazing. But can I tell you something? It's only amazing when we have a truly understanding of holiness and glory. Do you guys hear that? 
I, man, I am so passionate about grace. Grace is amazing. Grace is, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's what saves. It's, it's, it's free gift given by God. But guys, we can truly only understand grace in light of truly understanding holiness and how separate and above and glorious and amazing and apart from us and how sinful and how dirty and how wretched we are. Guys, can we just be honest and acknowledge that we need a God who is holy and set apart and we have not been holy and set apart. And we need to acknowledge that we are so contrary that our sin separates us so radically and grace is just so amazing that we fall short and that needs to break our heart. Not because it breaks our heart because, you know, oh, I messed up again and God's going to punish me. No. Because God is holy and he deserves holiness. He is glory and he deserves all glory. And when we worship at the altar of everything else, we deny what God's truly worth and we deny what we are truly made for. We need to understand holiness. We need to get it and it needs to break our hearts, but break our hearts in such a beautiful way that leads us to repentance and leads us to understand how amazing grace really is. I liken it to my son, you know, I want my son to truly understand that dad and mom has a true understanding of what is right and good and just in this world. And so when they break and go against what we call them to do, I don't want him to just be like afraid of my punishment. I want him to really be like, no, that breaks mom and dad's heart. And so when my son steals something from his younger brother and punches him, from his younger brother and punches him, I don't want him to be like, uh-oh, don't want mom and dad to catch me. I want him to be like, no, that's wrong. Because it's wrong because my parents have taught me what is right. They are what is right. Does that make sense? There's so many other important themes that we will cover. We're going to look at the importance of kingdom building. Guys, I want you to understand this. That what is Moses doing? One of the things that he's doing is he's uniting the people from 12 different tribes. Right? 12 different tribes. People who have been slaves for so long. Right? Think about this. They've been slaves for hundreds of years, and they've only been free for a little while. A generation only. And so they've been slaves for hundreds of years, now they're free, and Moses is saying, now you're a kingdom. You're a holy priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You're together. You're a nation. Build a kingdom. And they're like, huh? We're 12 tribes. We've we're been slaves for so long. He's saying, no, 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 that's not who you are. Look at your history. You're a set-apart people. Do you see what he's doing? Guys, can I tell you this? You're set apart people too. Do you get that? You're not, it's not that you're American or whatever nation you're from. It's not what the color you are. It's not based on what socioeconomic status you are. You're set apart people because you're people of God. Do you get that? He's building a national identity. He's also showing in the Pentateuch a universality of the redemptive plan. That it's not just for the Israelites, but it's to be a blessing to the nations. Over and over again, it says, Abraham, your descendants are to bless the nations. It shows the Pentateuch as a God as promise keeper. There's a theme of rest that, that exists here. There's a theme of land flowing of milk and honey. There's a theme of going home. There's so many beautiful themes in the penitentiary that we're going to dive into. And I want us to just start understanding that this is what it has. But ultimately, from, the New, from New Testament times, Christians have seen the promises in the Pentateuch as finding their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills by his life, death, and resurrection all the promises that have been given in the Pentateuch of being blessed, of being a people, having a land, and seeing a blessing to the nations. 
Jesus gives the land to live in by saying, go into all the worlds, right? He literally calls our, his disciples and says, go into all the land, go into all the world. In other words, where's your land? Wherever you go, claim it for the kingdom. Just like he says, claim the promised land with full of Canaanites, full of all these other people, the Hebusites and Jesuitites and all these other people that said, go into that land. Jesus is saying the exact same thing. He's saying, go into this land and claim it because that's your land. This land is our land? Wait, wait, that's a different song. But he's literally saying to you, where's your land? Where's your land? Well, he's saying it's all yours. Claim it and advance your kingdom in it. Jesus gives us the land to live in, but he also gives us leads to great descendants. As he calls us to make disciples, he himself made them descendants of Abraham. Through Jesus, they are adopted in. The great descendants, the multitude of descendants, he himself has adopted in the multitude of descendants. And we're adopted in so that I can say, I am a son of Abraham. And I can sing that song loud and proud. I can say, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. So are you. Right? And so here's the beautiful thing, is that the promise of descendants is our promise now, and we see it happening, don't we? We look around, we say, look at the descendants. They're innumerable, they're too many to count, they're like the stars in the heavens. We see Jesus already fulfilled that promise, but he also says, and now you go and further fulfill it. You go and make more disciples. Jesus gave blessing. Remember that we talked about he gets personal blessing? He gave personal blessing through God promised that your re- I will be your reward. He says that to Abraham, is I will be your reward. Jesus gave blessing, and that blessing ultimately is a right relationship with God and eternal life. He fulfills the promise to the penitent to Abraham of blessing for himself, and that blessing is that you and I can say we are now known, we are loved, and we have purpose. That we can have right relationship with God, our creator. That we can be saying how great it is the love the Father has lavished upon us and we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I mean, how amazing is the blessing that we get God himself. We get relationship. We get to be known. We get to be loved. Known and fully with all our faults. We don't have to hide anything anymore. We can be known fully with all our issues. And we can be loved fully. Not because we're good or cute or smart or funny. But loved because he chose to love us. And we get called to this incredible mission of advancing the kingdom. We get the blessing of God himself. And then ultimately, Jesus is the one through whom all the nations are blessed. He provided a way for all tongues and nations and people to have this right blessing relationship. Guys, you see that the Pentateuch ultimately is the foundation, but it all points to Jesus. It's the foundational book, but it all points to the Christ who fulfills all the promises that are ours in him, through him. So the promises of Abraham are now promises of us because we are the people of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Guys, if you're sitting in here today, it's nothing to do with your ability to be good or your ability to go to church or look a certain way or act a certain way, but all about the promises that have been fulfilled through Jesus, what he did upon the cross with his life and resurrection. As you claim that, then all of a sudden you get to be a person of God. You get to say, I am of the promise of of the Pentateuch. And these beautiful promises, guys, do we understand? This establishes who we are. We need this reminder, don't we? That we are a chosen people. 
that we're called, we're not just sojourners or wanderers on this earth, aimlessly wandering around, but we have purpose, we have calling into a land, that we're united, that we're promised Him. You see, the Pentateuch is part one of the redemptive plan of God. He started it and is working it, and even now will consummate, one day will consummate the plan. And we're all a part of that story. So as we read this Pentateuch, as we dive into it together, may we do exactly what the Israelites did. May we be reminded of who we are, the promises that are ours, and we see the God of this incredible redemptive plan who's fulfilled it, who's, who's done his mighty work bringing us into it through Jesus Christ and will one day consummate it so that one day all is made right. Where all of, everything that is wrong will be made new and correct. Amen?